So I'm going to speak again this morning out of James chapter 4. And can we just pray together before I start, please? Jesus, we're so grateful to be your children. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that we can walk with you day by day. And I just pray that you'd really help me now to communicate well. And uh, I thank you for this amazing book that has taught me so much in my own life and continues to inspire me as I prepare every week. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd come now in power. I know that you can bring life to words. And uh, Lord, you say that your word transforms us. It washes our hearts. It washes our minds. It, It helps us to become more and more conformed to the values of your kingdom. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that this morning you'd use what I have to help shape our lives, to help shape our thinking, to shape our values, to inspire us. And more than anything else, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come and change us by your power. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to speak to you this morning about living by trusting God. There are many ways we can live. We can put our trust in all sorts of things. But I'd like to speak to you this morning about living by trusting God as the primary motivation of how we live. And so last week, just to recap, unfortunately we had a problem with our podcast last week. uh, So the message is not um, available for those that missed it. But just let me, in that sense, just briefly recap. I said last week, That true greatness, I said, God wants us to be great. God wants us to be successful. But true greatness is found in humility. And that's why James says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. And so there is that desire that God has for every one of us as Christians, that He does want us to be successful and experience true greatness. And I guess what I'm saying is summarized in Philippians 2, verse 5, where Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says, Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and we are all in Christ, so we can have the same mindset as Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so here's the example of Jesus, who came as a servant, I read uh, this week that the word leader in the New Testament is used only nine times. The word servant in the New Testament is used 900 times. It's amazing, isn't it? And so much of church life is about leadership and being a good leader, and that's what I came out of. And yet, the New Testament speaks about us serving each other, loving each other. If we get the servant part right, we will automatically lead people, won't we? And so I want to encourage you with that. So to all that humble themselves, there's this promise that God says, I will lift you up. And this is the point that I tried to say last week. Only God can lift you up. <laughs> That's the point, see? And these, these people that James was writing to his friends, they were actually still remaining small. And how they were remaining small is that they were trying to connect themselves to all the people of influence in the church. And so they were trying to connect themselves with those that could help them and those that were rich. And they were saying, well, I actually like the rich guys because perhaps they can help me and I'm not so connected to the poor guys. And so James was trying to say to them, you are still small when you live like that. That's not the kind of greatness God is calling you to. God is calling you to serve everyone, to love everyone. And the royal commandment is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said, he summarized all of the Old Testament law in those simple words. He said, this is the law, that you love God with all your heart, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? And so I said last week that God had withheld success from these people because they were trying to be great, and at the same time they were remaining small. And so the encouragement to us is that we become big people, all right? That we 
we let God make us great, but we just love Him and serve Him. And so I said to you last week, they forgot their primary mandate. Their primary mandate was to make disciples. And you see, when we forget our outward mandate of making disciples, we start to fight with each other in the church. We start to find fault with each other. We get legalistic and critical when we are inward focused. And that's what James is trying to say is, don't be inward focused, look outwards. God's called you to make disciples. And so I said to you, try to encourage you that for this year, 2013, let us make our primary call prevalent in our minds again. Our primary reason for being alive on this planet is to make disciples of all people, wherever we can, to speak and live the gospel so that many might be saved. Amen? And so that's what I um, tried to share with you last week. And that really is the best cure for worldliness. Remember, he's talking about this adulterous affair that we can have as backslidden Christians. And really what cures that instantly and well is that we start loving the lost. And as we see people saved, that worldliness automatically uh, begins to disappear. We become more consumed with his kingdom. It's because of the smallness that James is trying to address that he's forced to say something to his friends in this verse that we're going to read this morning. And he says this, James chapter 4, Do not speak evil against one another. My brothers, my friends, do not speak evil against one another. Do you not know that the one who speaks against a brother judges him? And he speaks evil against the law, and he judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. There is only one lawgiver. There is only one judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so because these guys are small thinking and infighting in the church, James is forced to say to this to them, don't speak evil against one another. And who, how many of you know the Narnia series? Have you ever read that to your kids? Well, if you know the Narnia series... There's a book called The Magician's Nephew. And The Magician's Nephew is a wonderful story. Um, and this is, the characters are an older guy called Uncle Andrew. And he, in fact, turns out to be the magician of the title. And there's these two kids called Diggory and Polly. And basically, when you first meet Uncle Andrew, he's a kind of quirky, unpredictable guy. And you're not quite sure of his character. But as the book unfolds, you begin to be aware that he is, in fact, more a sinister kind of character in the story. And so what he tries to do, he tries to get Diggory and Polly, these two children, he tries to get them to try out these magic rings because he's too afraid himself to, to test out the magic rings. And so he persuades these children to do so, and that is the whole story, how the whole adventure unfolds. And the most sinister part of the whole story comes towards the end where Uncle Andrew, this uh, benign old grandfather, he says this. He says to the kids, he says, while it might have been wrong for anyone else to do what he did, in, uh, in other words, to trick these children, that he lived in a world where different, wor- different rules applied. And so he says this. He says, men like me, who possess hidden wisdom... Beware of people that claim hidden wisdom, especially in the church. We've got a new revelation that no one else in all of church history has ever had. Be aware of those kind of people. All right? Beware. There's nothing hidden in the scripture. It is plain. There's no hidden wisdom that only few people know. And so he says, men like me who possess hidden wisdom are free from the common rules just as we are free and cut off from common pleasure. 
Ours, my boy, is a high and lonely destiny. That's what Andrew, Uncle Andrew says to these kids. What's the point? Here's the point. In that one sentence, C.S. Lewis puts his finger on a profound moral problem. And this is the moral problem. In the moment that anyone says to themselves that what they are doing is not wrong because it only applies to ordinary people and somehow they are not ordinary people, in other words, they are the exception, in that moment, that person has puffed themselves up with a gross form of pride and they are headed for disaster. It's a profound point that C.S. Lewis makes. And I've tried to preach in this church that there is no exception to the gospel. There's no exception for any Christian. We are called, we are transformed by the, 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 the cross of Christ, we are converted into the church of Christ, and we live out the mandate of Christ, which is to make disciples. There are no exceptions. None. The moment you think you're the exception, you are puffed up with pride, and I'm puffed up with pride, and we're heading for disaster. I want to encourage you, don't believe Christians who say that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It is absolute nonsense. If you are authentic in your conversion, if you love Christ with all your heart, you will automatically love His people. It's impossible not to. And if you love His people, you will automatically love the lost. Those three go together. And so I want to say to you, this is exactly the same argument that Lewis brings in in this children's book. It's exactly the same thing that James is saying in this little verse. Exactly the same thing. He's saying, if we defame others in the church, if we speak in a defamatory way, if we bring others down, if we blab out about other Christians, it's a slander and a gossip which becomes a cancer in a church. And his point is this, James's point, is that anyone who does that is implying, like Uncle Andrew, that the royal law that James has called us to, that Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount, the royal law that we love each other and we love our neighbors ourselves, somehow doesn't apply to us because we're above it. We are, we are the exception. Everyone else mustn't gossip and slander and speak vainly of people, but actually we are, we, it doesn't apply to us. It's incredibly proud. And I want to say to you that if we are really walking by the Spirit, we wouldn't, even, we wouldn't be speaking evil, we wouldn't even be thinking evil if we are walking by the Spirit. What does 1 Corinthians 13 encourage us in? And so I want to say to you as a, as a fellow believer, as a brother in this church, let us give ourselves this year to speaking well of each other, to loving on people, to speaking positively about them. And so James is writing to these friends and he says, actually you judge the law instead of doing what it says. And, and then he brings this kind of real uh, scary kind of statement at the end. He says, actually the only person who has that role in all of the universe is God. <laughs> to judge anybody else and to speak condemnation over anybody. and to, The only person who can do that is God, so please don't do it over each other. And in fact, and this is why the title of my message is Living by Trusting God. Because that's the opposite of trusting God is trusting yourself. It's saying, no, I'm going to vindicate myself. You know, that's not true. I'm going to say what really is true. Uh, that's the opposite of humbling yourself. So I've got a couple of points, and I really will try and be 20 minutes this morning. One, speaking badly of people, speaking evil of, of someone is never justified. Ever. It's always wrong. And it always will be discovered. That's the other thing that I've learned in my life. 
<laughs> it's always discovered. When you speak badly of someone, even if it's in private, it's always discovered. What did Moses say in Numbers 32? He said, be sure that your sin will find you out. <laughs> and Jesus said this in Luke 12. This is the most terrifying scripture I've read for a long time. Verse 12, chapter, Luke 12, chapter 12, verse 2. Nothing that is covered up will not be revealed or hidden that not, will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark <laughs> will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. That's what Jesus says. In other words, if you speak badly, it will come out. You will get found out. Just as greatness is found in our lives, as we humble ourselves before God, our loose talking will catch us out in the end. And that's the warning that Jesus brings. You remember? I want to just try, I'm trying to encourage you that God is calling us to live great lives. Every time you speak badly of someone, you're, you're responding not to God's invitation to become great, you are responding to the devil's invitation to remain small, to remain mean, remain small-hearted, not think well of other people. And I'm speaking to myself, so I'm not preaching at anyone this morning, all right? One, speaking evil is never justified. Two, what does it mean to speak evil? Well, I've already used this word, defame. And I want to say that we can defame people even when we speak the truth. We can speak in a defamatory way over people even when we are speaking the truth. The fact that it's true doesn't make it right or true. Um, not right, it doesn't just, uh, not true, it doesn't justify us using it. True or false, speaking what we think in a hurtful way other people makes us superior to them. We put ourselves in a superior position and we speak down to them. And I was just interested as I was reading and researching this week that the, it's one of the most common things in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God hates is speaking evil against God and speaking evil against each other. He hates it with a passion. And so I want to say to you, it's... Um, Defaming someone, whether we criticize them, whether we gossip about them, it's really a subtle form of murder. It's really trying to get rid of that person. It's really trying to damage them so they don't have influence in your life anymore. And it's exactly the same spirit that works in a violent way in, in killers, people that ki kill other people physically. It's, but it's much more subtle, it's much more quiet. And uh, Alec Moita is a wonderful theologian. He says this, defaming someone else, speaking badly of someone else, is really a breach of humility. If we really were humble before God, we would have no altitude left from which to talk down to somebody else. I love that. If we really are humble, we don't have any altitude left. If we are flat on our faces before God, we don't have the altitude to speak down at other people and judge them. Thirdly, speaking evil, it, it betrays our, our insecurity. Betrays our own insecurity. I say this often. When you speak badly of someone else, you're saying more about yourself than you're saying about that person. It betrays an insecurity. Smallness is a constant state of having your self-esteem threatened. That's what it means to be insecure. And speaking evil of someone is often a defense mechanism to big yourself up, to make yourself feel bigger than you are. And the problem is it always backfires because... God says, Jesus says, and James has remind us, reminded us repeatedly that if we want to become great, we have to humble ourselves. <laughs> and every time you justify yourself and speak badly of, of someone else, you're not trusting God in that moment to vindicate you, are you? You're saying, actually, I've got to do it with my own words because God's not going to vindicate me. <laughs> and that's the lesson that I believe James 
is trying us to get us to learn. And I have to say to you, it's a lesson that I've been learning in my own life over the last five years. Don't vindicate yourself. Give God time. It comes out in the end. What is true, what is false. Just keep quiet. And let God vindicate. And he will. That's what it means to become humble and to become great. Passing judgment also betrays our smallness. That's what I've already kind of say. We try to big ourselves up. But you know, there's something that we are called to be aggressive in. And Martin Luther used this word. He said, we are, we are all called to be aggressive with a new obedience. And what he was meaning with a new obedience is all the things that James has said to us in chapter 4, those imperatives. Humble yourself. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Speak well of each other. Those things we must be aggressive about. Those things we must take action in, in our lives. Not to be conscious of ourselves, but to be conscious of God, the bigness of God, the grace of God. And as we focus on that, those other things become small in our lives. And so I'd just like to conclude this morning by looking at two words that James uses to describe how we're supposed to then get on with each other, how we're to regard each other in the church. He uses two words. He says we are brothers, and he says we are neighbors, neighbors and brothers. In other words, we are brothers, we are family. We all have different mothers. We have the same father. We are family. And James has used that language, brothers, brethren, friends. He's used it over and over and over in this book as he's written to us. And you see, brothers and sisters, friends belong together, and they are marked by a family stamp, a family mark. You look at the babies in this church, you can see who the mommy and the daddy are. And sometimes the kids all look the same, don't they, Steve? <laughs> you can see this is, this is Steve and Leslie's child. There's a family mark. Why? The child looks like them. What is the common family mark that you and I all share? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us were dead in our sins. I've been fascinated with the vitriol that people are using about Lance, Lance Armstrong. He needs to be punished. What a liar, what a liar, what a liar. I want to say to you, if you've never lied in your life, you have permission to throw the first stone. Isn't that what Jesus said? You're adulterer, woman, you're adulterer, you're adulterer. You, you have never had a lustful thought. You pick up the first stone and you throw. Yeah? We are brothers. We are friends. The common bond that we have is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all share that. That is what brings us together. Jesus rescued every single one of us by his initiative, by his will. He reached into our lives while we were dead in sin, and he said, I'll choose you, and I'm going to transform your life. And we've been on this big adventure ever since with Jesus. And so that puts you and I on exactly the same level. We are all sons and daughters. We are all equals before the cross, every single one of us. And that means that none of us has any right to speak down on anybody else. But I am saying this, there is place. That doesn't mean we don't, there's not the discipline of God and we can't help each other. I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is speaking in a way that defames the other person, that pulls them down. That's gossip. And that's what James says. James says the same thing as Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both your body and your soul. And so what those verses are saying, really, is that as God extended His grace to all of us and He chose us, let us be those 
those kind of people that extend grace and give the benefit of the doubt to each other. I've messed up so many times in my life. I've been married for 20 years. Um, it's a miracle we're still married. We've messed up, Helen and I. We messed up many, many times. But there's always the grace of God. There's always forgiveness. There's always the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So we are, we are friends. We are family. Yes? We are brothers. And there's that old-fashioned thing of calling each other brother and sister in the church. You know, my brother. You know what? I think there's still some good in that. Just reminds us all the time, no, he is my brother. He may support Norwich, but he is my brother. <laughs> He's my brother. Yes? She's my sister. Uh, you know, all the stuff of, in, in churches where there's sexual stuff that goes on in the church. You know, if you treat a woman in the church as your sister, if you treat every man in the church as your brother, there's no sexual temptation. Yes? He's my brother. She's my sister. I would never think of doing anything with my brother or sister. We are in Christ. Are you with me? Very simple. And then he says, we are neighbors. Not only brothers and sisters, but neighbors. What do neighbors do? They take care of each other. And uh, the most easy to remember story is the story of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And again, that doesn't leave us any room to talk down to other people. What's the point of the Good Samaritan? The point is that every one of us has neighbors, and all our Christian brothers and sisters and those that are lost are our neighbors, and we are supposed to be those that reach out to our neighbors and be the Good Samaritan to them. That is, that is the point of the story, isn't it? And we've heard it many, many times. And so, if there's something that I know about you that discredits you, my task is never, ever to publicize that. My task is never in private to berate you silently, you know, in the midnight hours when Helen and I are talking, to, to, to berate people for things in their lives. That's, that's never your task. That's never my task. Our task is to reach into others' life and to help to lift people up. That's our task. You see, defamation, slander, gossip, whatever you want to call it, it starts first in our minds, and that's why I'm convinced. I said to Helen this week, I'm convinced that people become demonized. I use that word purposely. Demonized in their thinking. That their thinking becomes so warped and conforming to the world and the values of the world that they start to live stuff which is alien to the kingdom. It's because of our thinking. And so I believe there are people that are demonized and need to be set free. And how are we set free? By the power of the Spirit, by the truth of the Word. And God does set us free in our thinking. And certainly there are times that the people, someone is so demonically oppressed that they need prayer and they need to be delivered from that thing. But uh, what did Jesus say? You can deliver someone and if the pattern doesn't stop, seven other demons come back. Isn't that true? That's what the story says. We've got to be renewed in our minds, in our hearts, in our thinking, taking on the values of the kingdom. So I'm saying, if we are neighbors, then surely... Gossip will be replaced by care. And then James tells us how to regard the law. And I just want to speak briefly about that. God has already given us the royal law. James has told us what that is. Jesus has told us what that is, is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And what the point that James is making is that actually if we, if we don't live by that, 
by the power of the Spirit, we're actually saying that we know better than God. We are actually judging that thing, and we're actually saying that God made a mistake in commanding us to love each other. What He should have done is commanded us to criticize one another. Because if we were setting the law, if we were, if we were setting up the rules, that's what we would have done, because that's how we live. And so James is saying, don't, don't live like that. Don't, by the power of the Spirit, remember that you can live differently and that God alone is the judge, God alone is the vindicator, and those that disobey that law of loving our neighbor as ourselves, what we are really doing is disputing God's authority in our life and saying that actually God doesn't know better, we do, just like Uncle Andrew. And I want to say this, every time someone uh, from a Bible college sent me an email, said, what do you think about um, spiritual warfare and binding powers and principalities and all this stuff? And I just, I'm convinced of this, that every time you make a decision for righteousness and truth in your life, every single time you do that, you exert spiritual authority and you wage war. What is the use of binding the spirit of lust over a town and saying we, we, we rebuke that and we bind that spirit? The Christians love to do that. If you're a slave to pornography in your own life, there's no, there's no power in that. It's empty words. It's meaningless. That's why I say we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. It lives, we live something differently, and as we are living differently, then we have authority to say things. Amen? Then we have authority, then we can actually say, no, that is an unclean thing. We, we bind that. Why? Because it's not, it's not at work in my life. So I have authority then. Yes? This is, this is what the Bible teaches. And so I want to encourage you, every time you make a decision in your life not to speak badly about someone, you are exerting powerful warfare at that moment. And you are becoming instantly, at that moment, you are conforming yourself to become like God, who is love. And you're conforming your life to God's image, which is love, which always gives the second chance, which always thinks good of someone. Are you with me? And when we speak gossip, we say, okay, I choose smallness, I choose the devil over what God says. And lastly, I'm impressed. It's, it is 15 minutes, five minutes, and then I'm finished. It's the first time I've done it. I just want to talk a little bit about, as I conclude, about being legalistic. And I know I've spoken about that before, but in the context of what James is saying. You see, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, what he actually was doing was summarizing all of the Mosaic law, and he was making, he was making some statements about it in a spiritual sense. He was summarizing it all. He was saying, this is really what the law is about, in the statements that he made in the Sermon on the Mount. And you see, that's why the Pharisees hated it. That's why they hated Jesus. Because the truth is, without what Jesus said, without the spiritual interpretation of the law, there was nothing to help them see or feel any shame for their own feelings of lust, their own hate, their own feelings of revenge, and their own outward legalistic morality. They were blissfully unaware until Jesus came and said some stuff. And as, as Jesus started saying some stuff and saying, actually, you've missed the whole point of the law. This is what the law really means. Then they started to hate him. As he started to put his finger on stuff in their lives. You see, when you start to see from Jesus' point of view, when you start to walk from the Spirit, you end up with a much higher view than which the Pharisees ever had and which they said they were committed to. 
Jesus said, these are the values of the kingdom. That's what he tried to express. He said, this is, these are the values of the kingdom of God. And if you and I try to bypass those values of the kingdom of God, the royal law, what I've talked about today, if we try to bypass it and say, it doesn't apply to me, it applies to everyone else, all we are left with is a legalistic Christianity which sets a ceiling on what righteousness is. So as long as you don't sleep with anyone, you're okay. As long as you don't murder anyone, you're okay. And yet Jesus says, that's, you've missed the whole point if that's how you're living. There's something, I'm calling you to something much higher, more glorious than that. You see, the Mosaic law, the rules, as I've said over and over, focus on outward performance, but they don't produce power in your life. They don't produce joy in your life. They don't produce peace in your life. They don't produce righteousness in your life. All the law can do, all rules can do, is to try and motivate you out of fear of punishment. You will get found out. Don't do that. And so our lives are motivated primarily out of fear. And so the law does, in a sense, it does restrain our flesh. In other words, it helps us to identify sin. But it also restrains the spirit. Do you know that? It does. And why do I say that? Because Paul, the great theologian of the gospel, he said this, Romans 3, verse 4, For God has done what the law, weakened by our flesh, could never do. He nails it straight up. And he says, By sending his Son in the likeness of our flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in our flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He nails it, straight up. And he says in Galatians 5.16, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we've said in this church over and over and over, walk by the Spirit deliberately, and you will fulfill the law accidentally, just without even trying. Love your wife, you're not going to sleep with anyone else. Get control of your temper, you're going to parent your kids well, by the Spirit. Are you with me? That's it, it's by the Spirit. Not rules and fear of punishment. So then, if that is true, if there's no fear of punishment, I looked at that three weeks ago, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. If there's no punishment for you and I, because we are in Christ, what motivates us then to live holy lives? If God's not going to beat us up? Do you think that's just license, just to do our own thing? I don't think so. I want to give you two reasons, two motivations why we live godly lives. One, because the Bible says... We are in Christ. It all starts and ends with Jesus. You and I, when we are saved, we are no longer our own. We are called out of darkness. We are now in light. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, you and I want to be motivated to do everything that pleases Jesus. That's it. That's the motivation. I just want to please Him. I just want to love Him. And secondly, because... God calls us and says to us that he wants us by the Spirit to live high above in a completely different dimension to what the law says we should live, and that we would, as we do that, we don't fulfill carnal, worldly desires, and as we walk by the Spirit, we not only keep the law, but the the Spirit takes us to a place that the law never could take us, can take us, and that's to a place of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, perseverance, the fruit of the Spirit. The law never, ever produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I've said to you, I want to say it again, show me one happy legalistic Christian. Just show me one. 
Legalistic Christians are never happy. They're always grumpy. They never have joy. They're always upset about something. If you want the fruit of the Spirit, give yourself to walk by the Spirit. Hey, Becky. Am I being too serious? <laughs> I, I preached at the university on Thursday night, and uh, Becky and uh, Rachel came to help me. And I'm aware that I, I can be intense and all that. So, anyway. So, can I finish with this? I want to say that true greatness is when we learn to walk by the Spirit. True greatness is when we learn. It's when our soul becomes revived. It's we are revived from the inside out. When you are able to be loving and kind and you're producing something in your life that goes completely against who you are naturally. You know what I'm speaking about? Your natural personality. When you're producing love and kindness and perseverance and that goes against what you naturally are as, a, as Anthony, if it goes against who I naturally am, that's when I'm starting to live by the power of the Spirit. Are you with me? Because it's, no long, it's not my natural personality. It's not my natural character. It's completely opposite. When I start living by the Spirit and I'm const- consistently producing love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness that does not come from myself, the only source is the Holy Spirit. Then I'm living by the Spirit. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 14, even when you can do that and you yourself have been the subject of gossip and slander and you can respond differently and you can, you can respond in a different way, James, uh, um, Peter says this, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests on you. The spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests on you when you can respond like that. I want to encourage you, how many of you in 2013 want to taste some glory in your life? How many of you want to taste more of the spirit in your life? How many of you would love to see God use you to see many saved? Yeah, I would, certainly. Well, he has a little key for us. The more we can put to death the desire to speak badly about other people, the more we can put that to death in our lives by the power of the Spirit. A.W. Tozer says this, we more, the more we can do that, the more we begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The more we experience the Holy Spirit, the more we want the Holy Spirit. The more we want the Holy Spirit, the more we'll do everything that we can to rid our lives of anything that might grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so this is not a condemning message. This actually is an encouraging message because that can only be produced by the power of the Spirit in you and I. I'm not naturally, I'm quite aggressive naturally. I'm quite loud naturally. I'm quite, uh, uh, ask my, my family, I'm quite insistent on my own way. I'm not shy to tell people what I think. All that, that, that's not necessarily the fruit of the Spirit. you get what I'm saying? But this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Stepping back and saying, no. Then I'm starting to live by the power of the Spirit. Amen. And I want to encourage you, in 2013, as we go forward, let's not speak evil of one another. Let's not pray for one revival on the one hand and then gossip about our friends, because that's just mocking God, isn't it? We're not going to see revival until we are consistent in what we're living and what we are saying. And so let's pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit with all of our hearts this year. Let's speak well of each other. Uh, Let's live by trusting Him. Let's not live by trying to vindicate ourselves. And I'm so excited that RT is coming to chat and teach us about the Holy Spirit. I've heard him speak on it before. He's an amazing, amazing revelation 
of the gentleness, the kindness of the Holy Spirit. And we all need some of that in our lives, don't we?